Welcome to the show. Here's my dad. On this episode of the Infant Adoption Guide podcast, Leah joins me to share her open adoption story as a birth mom, hear how and why she decided to place her daughter over 18 years ago. Well, hello there. Welcome back to the Infant Adoption Guide podcast. My name's Tim Elder. I'm a dad of three through infant adoption. This is the show all about domestic infant adoption. We give you the inspiration, the hope, confidence, so you can adopt faster with less overwhelm, less headaches. So thank you for joining me today. And thank you so much for those who email me sharing your story or showing me your struggles and you you love your love of this show. That really makes me happy, keeps me going, keeps you me providing this podcast to you. And if you do really love this podcast, I invite you to go to iTunes and please share your five-star review. This really helps the show get noticed by more and more people. So thank you so much for doing that. So one of the things that comes up a lot is adoption support. And whether you're online or in person or you're in our Facebook group, we'd love to have you in our community. Uh, our Facebook community is a great place to start. And it's a it's a great place to find other people just like you who are trying to get through the adoption journey. Uh, but one thing we've done is created something that's really outside of Facebook. Even it, it enhances the adoption community support. And it's something I've been working on for a while. It's a safe, private online space for anyone in the adoption, infant adoption world, on, on the path to adoption. Maybe you're just considering it. Maybe you're already adopted. It's a unique community where we bring people together outside of Facebook, outside of any place else. It's our own private place that you can connect on a website and through the app and talk to people just like us, but in a very private, small way. Because what we do is set you up with people we call buddy groups inside of a buddy group. So we set you with other five to 10 other people and you get to really establish a friendship, get focused learning, get answers to your questions, support each other, cry with each other, celebrate with each other as you go through your journey. That's what this community really needs and what we really have not had anywhere else. So it's a very unique place that we're super excited to share with you guys. Go to infantadoptionguide.com forward slash community to learn more about what we have going on inside of the community, how it's different than Facebook, how it's going to be amazing. And we'd love to have you there. Infantadoptionguide.com forward slash community. Now let's get into the interview with Leah right now. Welcome Leah to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. My pleasure. And I love hearing adoption stories as well as the audience does. So we're excited for you to share your story. And uh, I, I think you got some unique things to bring to us. And as you tell your story, and we're going to get into all of that, but I really wanted you to kind of start off with just however much you're comfortable with sharing um, your adoption story, like how you uh, came to learn about adoption as a choice for your daughter and all the way through, like how you even chose the parents for her. So I don't know if you can start and just share with us your story. Absolutely. Um, I was 16 when I found out I was pregnant, like just turned 16. Um, so it was, you know, I had been dating someone my sophomore year of high school, and this was the beginning of my junior year when I found out. So we were not together at the time. And so I th really, that was a big dis part of my decision was that I didn't have a partner with me and he was not supportive. He did not want to be involved, which I know is a pretty common scenario. Um, 
But still, when I first found out I was pregnant, I was really determined to parent. And I just kind of felt like I'd put on my big girl underwear and and just kept on going. And I was going to, I wanted to parent and I was really set on that. And so um, I had known about adoption because I have people in my family who were adopted, but they had closed adoptions. And for me to see them growing, not having any of the birth family involved, um, that really turned me away from adoption because that was, especially in 2003 when I was pregnant, open adoption was not common knowledge. It was not talked about. And so I had no idea open adoption or even semi-open wasn't, was an option. So I really, all I knew was closed. And I was like, I'm not going to, you know, quote, give up my baby and never see her know her again. So I was really just set on parenting. Um, and when I, my mom got me into counseling right away. And so with that to kind of work through our you know, family tensions and healing in that area and helping me to grow and help have a, you know, non-biased person to talk to. Adoption was brought up in the air um, and, you know, doctors would bring it up and it was just brought up and I was very resistant to it. I was, I was not going to choose adoption. Um, so as the months went on though, and I, you know, I found out she was a baby girl and I was, just starting to feel that I just couldn't find peace with, with parenting as much as I was wanting to parent. And I had the support to parent all my parents. I have a, my mom and I have a dad and a stepmom. All of them were very supportive of whatever I decided. Um, they would be there for me and they would help me in whatever ways they could. Um, but it just didn't feel right. It, it was just this, this battle still within my soul and just, just did not feel right in my gut that, that, to parent her um, just didn't feel right. And so I started to, you know, they encouraged me to make an informed decision of whatever it was. So part of that was, okay, well, I'll go on the internet and find people to talk to. So I went and found, you know, teen moms in a group and I found some adoption groups and there were some birth moms and adoptive moms in there. And that was where I learned about open adoption. And so hearing from other adoptive moms and birth moms who had just recently walked through this process and had open adoptions and adoptive moms who wanted this relationship with the birth moms in their life and wanted the updates and wanted to visit and to love on their child's birth mother was completely eye-opening and really softened my heart to that this could be an option. And so um, talking with them um, just helped me answer a, a lot of the questions I had of what this could look like since this was a whole new way of thinking of things. Um, I found my best friend, Brianna, in there that was a few months um, into her open adoption and just what the model of that looked like of, of their relationship being friends and wanting to be with each other. Um, it was just really encouraging to see that there could be this middle ground where I could still grow up myself as a 16-year-old um, who emotionally was not ready to really parent if, you know, now that I look at it um, and, but also provide her with a mom and a dad and a stable environment and a loving extended family and all the things that you want for your child. Um, but I could still be in her life and I could still know her and help her to know that she is loved and that I was here as she grew up. Um, it just felt like this middle ground that made me think about open adoption more. And it was just 
one day it just really became abundantly clear. And for me, my faith was a big part of that. It was just one day it just kind of, I describe it like a veil was lifted where like I kind of felt fuzzy before and unsure, but then just one day it just, the veil lifted and I could see clearly what her life would look like if I were to paint her. And um, it would look a lot like what my life was growing up with a single mom, um, working often and going to school and trying, you know, being with babysitters instead of being with me, her mom, and just working and not having a dad present. My dad was present, obviously, but um, her dad would, wouldn't, I don't think he would have been there at all. And so that was really um, hard to admit that I'm not ready to parent this child and not give her these things that I desperately want her to have, no matter how much I love her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was really hard and it was really uh, a grieving day, but it also was a peaceful day that just brought clarity to our path moving forward. And um, so at seven months, that's really when things just flew into place. And as soon as I made that decision, um, I looked at within the week, I talked to my social worker and looked at three profile books and I had let her know ahead of time that I was looking for a Christian, you know, mom and dad. I was looking for a family that was within our state or at least within a few hours of driving so we could have this closer open adoption relationship. And I was looking for a family who already had a child because I wanted to see how they parented. And I wanted to make sure she would have a sibling because I grew up um, just being my mom's house. I was the only child. So I wanted to make sure she would have a sibling and and that I always wanted growing up. Um, So those are my three big requirements. And of course, you know, wanting the same relationship was really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, in the very first profile, I looked through their pictures and back then there wasn't the fancy books that there are today. <laughs> it was just a flip book of photos. Um, and then a, a letter to me um, that described them more and just who they are and their prayer over me and things like that. Um, so their pictures are what stood out to me first was they reminded me of my dad and my stepmom, um, just like the poses they were in and the long brown hair that was like my stepmom. And we had the same kind of dog that we had had growing up. Um, so it was just like these visual clues and connections first. Um, and of course, I love seeing they had a lot of loving extended family that would I could picture you know, these grandmas loving on my little girl and the fun things they did. And it just felt like a loving place for to be and just something I connected with. And then um, in their letter, I connected with, you know, just who they were as people and their personalities and their interests and things. But I, what really stood apart and touched my heart was that they had written a prayer over me at the end of it. Mm -hmm. And it just felt like they saw me as a person and that they were praying for me, not because they wanted my child, but because they genuinely um, loved and were praying and cared for this person. And that character of them continued to be repeated over and over and over as we met and built a relationship that I was important to. Um, so that's how I chose them. And we met a week after that and just really clicked in person. Um, kind of, I describe it kind of like when you meet your soulmate, you just kind of have this deep knowing that this is it and this is them and just things just fit well together. And we had the same vision for open adoption. 
their child, their, their son was three at the time and they had a semi-open adoption and everything was um, more guided through the agency and the contact was through the agency. And they just realized that they wanted more than what, than what had with, with his birth mom. Um, and so really set us up to be on the same page of having visits and having a more direct uh, relationship and just becoming part of each other's extended family. And, and one thing that her dad had said to me in that, that very first visit was you're an important piece to her life puzzle. And we want you here to help fill in these pieces that we can't. So it really just emphasized this vision that we had of being a kind of a team surrounding her and helping her in different areas and our different roles and that I was important in that too. And so that obviously began to build trust in me about them and their character and that they wanted to fulfill the promises that we were talking about and dreaming about together. From there, we had agreed that we would have two visits a year at the minimum. And so her birthday is in the summer. So we had one every summer and every December around Christmas time, her whole life. And we would, in the later, we would go above and beyond that um, just as it fit in our schedules. Um, but we always had those two visits. And then we promised each other to never, whenever we moved or updated our number, we would not just let it disappear. We wouldn't let each other disappear. We would always share those updated informations with each other. And um, and we promised, of course, to have communication in between visits um, through all the ways of email was really big for a while. Um, now it's much more like texting and phone calls and things like that, just to keep each other up to date. So when she was born, um, they at the hospital, but not in the room. I wanted them in the waiting room ready for whenever I was ready to have them meet. And I had my time with her first and we enjoyed, you know, taking pictures with her and sharing some time with her first. And then when they met in person, it was like midnight <laughs> on her birthday. It was so late, oh. but I'm glad that they were there because I wanted them to bond as soon as possible. Um, and watching them fall in love with her was one of the highlights of my time in the hospital. And um, I really, again, just loved watching her dad fall in love with her and watching him <laughs> hold her and like cry over her and say, you know, she's already wrapped around my her her finger. And I would just, that assurance that she had this dad who would play such a big part in her life. And I was able to provide that for her through adoption. Um, and so those were, we had, a, they were in and out throughout the hospital. Um, I felt very loved and supported by my family and my social worker and the hospital staff. So I had a really great experience. I was actually grieved that the hospital experience was over because it just felt like all my family was together for those few days. And, and that included her parent, her parents too. Um, and so we, yeah, I, you know, fed her, changed diapers, took lots of pictures and videos and just really soaked up all my time with her and her parents. And they were really great about just respecting that and honoring that. Um, as my social worker said, this was my time with her in the hospital and they would have forever. So they really took that to heart and just 
were there when I wanted them there and, you know, went shopping when, when I, when I wanted some space. They even let me um, decorate her nursery, like help have a voice in that. So they picked out the, they said that I could pick out bedding and then they built the nursery around that. So I think they went shopping for that while I was in labor um, and, and giving birth to her. So that was a really special thing that they invited me into during um, the kind of waiting process of the pregnancy and, and how when they invited me into their lives, even during a matching, the matching part of it. So you're in the hospital and I just want to touch on that real quick yeah. because it's, yeah. I mean, we've gone through that three times ourselves and that hospital experience as adoptive families go, you're kind of struggling with the emotions because we're kind of, we're so overjoyed as this child's coming to our mm-hmm. lives yet our, I don't know how else to say it, our soul's a little bit crushed for yep. the birth mom who's, who's there watching the fact that her child's going to leave with someone else. Can you talk mm-hmm. about the emotions that maybe you felt in that part? I would say it's very similar where it's, I wanted to soak in all these memories that I could knowing it was very limited mm-hmm. and um, as I was, as I've been writing about this in my book, it's very much like I would focus on the joy of it in the present moment for the most part. Um, but as the, the time ticked by closer and closer and closer to signing the relinquishment papers and saying goodbye for, um, it gets the reality of it settles in even deeper, deeper. Um, and so I, I feel like it started on, on this, you know, big high of like, I just had this baby and she's amazing and everybody's here. And then it was, you know, starting to sink, you know, two, two days into it. Um, and so I think it's really, it's, I think everybody's feeling very similar feelings of joy of this child and, but also knowing that this tidal wave of grief is coming. And so it's just, I feel like it was pockets of time of let's focus on this joy and pockets of time where I needed space to cry. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, and I imagine it's the same for them because they've told me stories of, you know, when they were, when they left the hospital and, her mom cried the whole way home for hours. Mm-hmm. And and her dad was like, what is wrong? Why are you crying? We have this baby. This is good. <laughs> and she's like, I know, but, but Lee is hurting. And that just, it makes me cry still because it's like to know that, that her mom had a heart for me. It just shows her character and that it's, it's just bigger than just them and their joy. But my pain is acknowledged too. And that means a lot to me as a birth mom. Um, so I know that the gravity of the grief is really hard on all sides. Um, and I think it's, I don't really know what advice I would give, or it's just acknowledging it, that it's, it's bittersweet. There's so much good and there's so much sweetness, but there's also some really hard parts too. Um, so I think for me, I just felt really supported and advocated for, of whatever I was feeling in that moment whether that was all smiles and like excited and bonding or if reality hit me that she was leaving soon um, and giving me space to do that. But for me, it was really helpful to have her adoptive family there because it felt like that team that 
that we had dreamed of and that we were doing this together and that she had both of us. Um, for me, that was really helpful. Um, obviously, different birth moms will have different um, desires and experiences and, and maybe not want as much contact and visits and things. Um, so I think it just varies depending on what each each person wants. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And yeah. Having that a little bit of time before you, you were matched before she was born was pretty big, too. So you could yeah. work on building that relationship and having that those talks and talking about what it's going to be like. And not everybody gets that. I know a couple of ours were yep. not like that. We had a week before or a couple of them were born. So there was no time to build the relationship. So it makes it even harder in the hospital part when you're really struggling with the joy and the grief, like you said. So uh, yeah. how did your faith play? I mean, you talked about you know, wanting a Christian family and I mean, you were only 16 at the time, right? Yes you had some faith play a part in your adoption story, which is amazing at, at 16. It's awesome. Uh, how, <laughs> yeah. How did that um, play a part with you? Like at that, at those moments, you know, when right before mm -hmm. your daughter was born um, while she was born and then right after when you're kind of going through that grieving process, did your faith, I'm sure helped you through, but how did, how did your faith play a part? Yeah, I, it was, a huge factor, I feel like in my coping and healing, but also my decision process, because, um, I felt like, like, I guess growing up, I was in a Christian home, um, not over Christian or Christian or religious, just, you know, we would go to church occasionally and we would listen to Christian songs. Um, but it, for me, when I was 16 at the lowest of lows and really unsure of where to go or what to do, um, and realizing that I didn't have all the answers at 16, like I thought I did, and that I just felt so much shame and guilt for this person I had become. I, you know, I thought I was a good girl. You know, I made good grades in school. I was like on, on a roll. I had good friends, but like I still went down this path that I was really ashamed of. And so um, wrestling with all that personally um, and just feeling so low and feeling like I had no one else to lift me up for me, God became that person to turn to. Um, and so throughout my pregnancy, um, as I was kind of wrestling with the shame and the guilt and pride and all that, um, that led into, um, really my decision process of like, what I'm doing is not working. So please God, tell me what to do. And that's when I knew like adoption is the right thing for you. It's the best thing for you. Um, and it just, and the sense of peace that washed over me when I made that decision helped me to know it was the right thing for us. And that peace is what held me through everything of making the adoption decision, choosing her parents, you know, what would that look like? Like, I keep saying like peace was a, like a compass and throughout this whole process. And so, especially in the hospital it became just turning to that, that piece of faith and hope and the supernatural peace that I could not explain that held me in those moments that I was going to be okay. And my baby girl was going to be okay. And this relationship was going to be guided by, you know, by God. And that held me through 
through all the hard times that even when I was sad or missing her or knowing that she was leaving soon or I was signing the papers soon um, or had jealousy issues of, you know, because the grieving process is up and down in all different ways after placement. Um, but I still had this assurance that would draw me back of like, okay, this is why you made this decision. And here's the piece to that just is the foundation of all of it. And it still is with both of both of us being Christian families, we're able to step outside of ourselves and our selfish, you know, fleshly desires of you know, wanting things a particular way um, for my needs or my desires or my thoughts and being able to step back and focus on what is God saying we should do and what is really best for our our daughter at the center of this. So it's just continued to be an important part of our story um, and just having the the peace and the guidance to, to walk through it almost 19 years later. Yeah, that's amazing how far... Uh you had to come from closed adoption to open adoption in a pretty short amount of time. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of us struggle with that as uh, adoptive parents coming into to adoption for the first time and struggling with what an open adoption is and how to wrap our brains around it. Is, is it co-parenting? Is it not? And how much contact do we have? And what is even the right thing to put out there when you're making up a profile or you're writing out a letter, like you said, how much do we even say? Mm-hmm context should we say that we want and how much can we agree to and you don't even know there's lots of times you don't even know where the baby's going to be born like in our case we were all over the mm-hmm. country so it's not necessarily a couple hours away it could be a couple states away so how would you talk to hopeful adoptive parents that are considering adoption or have already jumped in and they're like fear they're, they're a little bit scared of open adoption or like what it means and how do we even navigate this especially when it comes to matching with an expectant mom yeah that's a really common question that i've gotten over the last few years i've worked with hundreds of prospective adoptive parents and a lot of them that's their number one thing is like mm-hmm. this sounds really scary yeah. <laughs> um and a lot of times it's hearing stories like ours that kind of like it was for me listening to stories from other birth moms and adoptive moms in open adoptions, like, oh, that's not so scary. That is something that could be doable. And it just helps to hear different versions of open adoption and figure out what you're comfortable with or not. And I think the biggest thing is knowing what you're comfortable with or not. So you're not promising things that you cannot uphold Mm -hmm. because on the birth mom side and the adoptee side, like that is devastating um, to feel lied to. So that's my biggest thing is like, if you don't know, don't promise things. Um, If it's just a, you need to wait and see and build a relationship and have conversations, then promise that. But um, don't make promises that you are not going to keep. Um, and for, for, you know, for us, we felt, we felt we could promise these things and we've upheld them. Um, and I think, I think you touched on it. Of it's not co-parenting, um, 19 years into this, I don't parent her in a typical way. I'm not, I'm not a parent, you know, all the medical decisions, school decisions, all decisions, that's them. And I, you know, I relinquish those rights to them and they've done a great job of that. My role is to be more of a support person to where they come to me if they have a question of whether that's medical, 
you know, they're walking into a wellness check. Is there anything medical that we need to know about that we should check for? Or, you know, she has a question about, you know, her birth father or she, they have, she has a question about X, Y, Z. Um, or can you talk to her about this? Because, you know, it's coming up in our conversations and you might have some input here. So it's really like a, they tag me when I'm needed. <laughs> um, and I, while we do have, our visits have grown to be a lot longer and um, more often as the years have gone by, because that's what she's desired and asked for. And so that has made my role a little bit um, different, um, but not still not parenting. All that defaults to them. And so I think making sure that that is realized is that this isn't like I'm her stepmom or anything like that. It's it's just a, another support person to love her and to guide her. Um, because and and I also think it's important to know that I have made sure my character is well known and developed, and I've earned this place in her life. Even though we've had these conversations from day one of meeting, I still had to earn this respect from them and and the trust from them that when she comes to visit, she's coming to a safe environment. And that when I give her advice, it's going to be wise advice because we share the same faith and because we, um, and I respect them and I want to keep pointing her back to God and to her parents. Yeah. I think that would be my advice. Just remembering that um, it's good to have these goals and to talk through things and build whatever this relationship looks like. But um, if, if she is, you know, there's boundaries that are there for a reason and respect has to be built. And um, there's just just like any healthy relationship with within a spouse or with your parents, there's there's boundaries and kind of things involved to protect each other. Um, and that's especially important in open adoption. Yeah. Do you think it's true that as you're in the match process or even at placement or shortly thereafter that not everybody knows exactly what they want in an open adoption, you know, I mean, absolutely, it can, absolutely. It, it can evolve. You, you alluded to it. It's a, it's a relationship. So it's, it's probably going to evolve, you know, the, how it will contact each other. You want to talk about that? How you, I mean, yours has evolved, obviously. It has. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, you know, it started with two visits a year. Um, and just promising contact and things. I'll say for us, that involved into, um, in the early years, I would go stay the night at their house um, because we just wanted that time together. We wanted to press in and to know each other even more. And it helped me in my healing process to see her often and to be a part of her world and to um, just be, they would invite me into her milestones of like feeding her food for the first time and things like that. Um, so that was really um, ab above and beyond what I dreamed it could be when we made our agreement when I was still pregnant. And we just kind of went with what felt natural. Um, and they always encouraged me that if, you know, I need to call and check in how she's doing because you use her, like call us, we'll answer, answer. And if you need a visit because you're missing her, we will make a visit if we can visit. And so they always encourage that door to be open and for me to walk through it when I needed it. As the years, there's absolutely ebbs and flows. It, it shifted from really intensive the first two to three years to back to our bare minimum, her elementary years, because they were busy and I was busy building my own family. 
Um, and then it started to shift when she became a teenager because she was understanding more of the impacts and the grief and the joys and all the things of adoption and having more questions. And I had siblings here in my house that she wanted to spend time with and get to know more and more one-on-one -on -one time with me too. So that shifted our relationship to be more directly between me and her for the first time is and less between me and her parents. Um, again, you know, 13 years of building that relationship and the respect and um, all that helped that to be put into place to build a safe place for her to come to. Um, and then now she's 18 and it's built to where, built up to where she has a voice in her adoption. And she's saying like, you know, I would like four visits a year, like one each season because six months is too long and I miss you and I miss my siblings. Um, and so she came and when she turned 18, she graduated high school and she asked to come live with us for a few months. And so that was a huge, huge thing that I've never dreamed of <laughs> at 16 years old of what it could be and what our relationship was. And that really deepened our relationship. So that was, that was an interesting experience, but I think a good one. So yeah, it absolutely evolves over time. And while stories often do not look like mine, just knowing that you have to kind of ride the waves of what the different seasons look like and that it's normal to change throughout the years, depending on mental health or what's going on in the lives or if they've moved away or they're having a hard time. It can look very very different. There's even seasons where it's quieter for me and I know to expect it because there's just certain times of the years where my daughter's quieter because she's processing things and you just kind of learn to respect that space and keep that door open when they're ready. Awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, I found you through uh, reading a blog on focusonthefamily.com, which is a great website. And I saw one of your articles and then I realized, wait a minute, you wrote a ton of articles for, for focus on, uh, on adoption. So it's been fun going through them all, but one that really kind of struck me was, uh, one that was called the fears of a birth mother. And you really wrote, uh, well, and they're just, just really putting the, the fears out there of not just what you had, but others that you've talked to have mm -hmm. and, you know, one of them or a couple of them that that really struck me as a uh, a dad through adoption is that you would be you would fear that one day everything would be taken away so when it comes to open adoption you know you'd fear that one day would be every, everything taken away and like no matter how amazing it is now no matter how much great relationship we now what i worry that in a blink of an eye or tomorrow it would all be gone because the adoptive parents would just say you know what we're done or we're just not going to tell you that we moved and how do you and I know you do some of this coaching and talking with people on this so how do you how do you address that kind of a of a fear from both sides really because most people listening to this are adoptive hopeful adoptive parents or adoptive parents and we want to know how can we help our child's birth parents avoid that fear mm -hmm. I would for me, it was, I was constantly reassured by her family. We're not going anywhere. You're an important part of this. Um, but I will say, 
19 years into this, like it's still a fear that mm. even like it could happen. It doesn't sound logical, but it's still like this fear of like, this is so good and I don't want to mess it up. And so it kind of makes me hyper aware of like my actions and that I never want to have a consequence of losing their trust or things like that. So it's, it's always in the back of my mind, even if, even if nothing legally would happen or they would move, like she's old enough now to where she could just find me herself. But like, even protecting my relationship with her, I never want to mess up our relationship. (laughs) But I would, I think the biggest advice is just the reassurance from the, the adoptive parents to the birth family that we're in this for the long haul. Like we see the big picture of this. We know it's important. We want you here and having to say it every year, if you have to, or every, every call or every visit, it really, really helps that assurance of, of I can trust them and they want this too. Um, again, kind of like with a marriage, if you, if you've, got two people who you know are fighting for the relationship in a good way. You're building your communication skills and you're knowing each other deeply and you're respecting each other and honoring each other and learning how to have conflict and work through it. It just becomes the evidence that they mean this too. And we're we're all going to work together to make it work. Um, So that would be my biggest thing for the adoptive family side. And I think the birth family side too, of like, keep showing up and, and make sure that you are making good choices and not have be questioned of why you're doing X, Y, Z. Like, I don't know if that makes sense, but Mm -hmm. that the relationship means something to you too. And you want to be healthy for it. (laughs) If that makes any sense. I think both sides really to have a relationship like this, both sides need to be taking care of themselves individually, just like with a marriage, you've got to have two individuals working on themselves so they can come together to, um, to make it, make it something beautiful. And I know that can be really tricky on the mental health side or even just affording it, but there are resources out there to help birth moms, um, to get that, get the healing and groups and things like that. Do you have groups that you could share with us that are places that like uh, hopeful adoptive families could go or adoptive families could send, Hey, uh, here's a great place for uh, a birth mom to get support. There's a lot of birth mom resources that have popped up over the recent years. It, they were very far and few between when I was mm-hmm. just played. Um, but there now is, there's a lot of online groups, in-person groups, I know Ashley Mitchell has groups all throughout the country. Um, the Need to Need program, um, Abiding Love Charities has a faith-based one that is building. I wrote the curriculum for that one, and it is, you know, spreading through pregnancy centers. That's our goal to help um, provide a faith-based version to you know talk through relationships and healing and boundaries and all those kinds of things. Um, there's I'm sure I'm, there's retreats, there's the birth mom collective in Charlotte and Z. Um, there's, there's fireweed retreat. There's, there's tons of things out there. I'm, I'm wow. sure there's, I'm sure there's more, <laughs> um, but those are <laughs> the good. the few that I'm like most knowledgeable. That's good. That's good. Hey, and before we get too far into wrapping this up, I wanted to ask you a, an important question because you're a mother of five and yes. I wanted to know how your kids all kind of interact. And I mean, 
obviously as your kids get older, they ask more questions like, why did this adoption thing happen? And why, you know, how did this work? And why did you make these, you know, did they ask you all those questions yes. that are very, you know, personal and, and you have to be pretty vulnerable and share all those, right? Or how do you, how do you yes. handle that? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so for my kids, my oldest that I parent is two and a half years younger than my birth daughter. Okay. Um, so she was asking questions probably around four is when it started to think in a little bit more. Um, and so we, I was given a book called Sam's Sister and it didn't quite fit our situation. It, it explained the emotions and the grief and kind of what was happening for a, from a birth sibling perspective, mm. that was incredibly helpful um, for us to talk about what adoption is in a childlike way um, and how that imp impacts me as, as their mom and why I get sad sometimes or like birthdays can be difficult. But in general, I've talked to my kids in a childlike way um, that, you know, I, I was too young at the time and I chose Kaylee's mommy and daddy to parent, parent her. And you know, kind of build on that as they get older, just like her parents were telling, um, telling Kaylee mm -hmm. by five, like why I was choosing adoption. It's the same kind of concept, but I'm applying it to my children here that I parent. And so as they get older and like this, the sex questions start happening a little bit more and they're figuring out, wait, wait, she has a different dad. That's not <laughs> her dad. Like, like my daddy's not her daddy. Like, um, and so there's, just building as we go and talking, being vulnerable, like you said, about like, I've made some poor choices and, and how my testimony with God comes into that and just talking, yeah, just talking through all that and, and hoping that they learn my mistakes that, um, for them not to have to be in this place to make a decision like this. But I also know that it really impacts all of them too, which I had never thought about when I was pregnant and placing her of just how much they would miss her one day. But that's why open adoption for us has been even more sweet and um, beautiful because they are building that sibling relationship. It just looks a little different. Absolutely. Um, so they educate kids in their class about <laughs> open adoption um, and their teachers. So it's really interesting. They'll, they'll include her as, and you know, to them, that's their big sister. And so they include her in the stories that they talk about and like, we're going to go visit our sister and she's our big sister, but she just doesn't live with us. And um, my mommy chose her parents. And it's just really interesting how they spread adoption awareness in their own way. We just really treasure our time together. Um, and I love seeing them grow and bond together. And her parents are very supportive of that. That's really that's awesome a big yes. motivating factor for our open adoption as we have, you know, gone over time is making sure that 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 sibling relationship is, is honored and intact. And it's just been a really important part of our journey that I didn't expect, you know, eight, 18, 19 years ago. Yeah. That's part of their story too. So it's awesome <laughs> that they tell it and it comes from your guidance and how you're sharing it so that's that's great for all of us to hear because 
that's the essence of open adoption and and how it plays out in our families as kids grow. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'd like for you to talk about Anna because I know you got this big project going on. You're writing a book, so let's talk about your your yes. book, your upcoming book. Go ahead and let us know what what it's about and when it's coming. Of course, I'm working hard on it. I have my memoir that is going to talk about all this kind of stuff in it and much more. Um, and so it's called the 16th year and it you know, talks about my year 16 and going through pregnancy and placement and choosing her family and memories that I have of us. And so if you've enjoyed this podcast, the book will be for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now it'll be on Kickstarter to pre-order so that it will help pay for the editing and things like that to make a high quality book. And so I'm really, really excited to get this into the world because I've had people telling me since I was 16, I need to write a book. And so here it is finally happening when she's almost 19 years old. And so it's, it just seems like the right time now that we've walked through a whole childhood together in this open adoption and just what it's turned into. I'm really excited to share it with everybody. Awesome. Is your daughter going to have a, uh, share some stories or have her, her voice shared in the book or are you just telling it from your perspective? I'm telling it from my perspective, but we have dreams of lots of books. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so there may be ones that she gets more um, voice involved in. She's just feeling she's being new. Like she's still figuring out the adult world and what this looks like. Um, being an adoptee at this level, if that makes sense. And Absolutely. so she's, yeah. uh, it's, it's tricky to, to navigate balancing two different families and, mm-hmm. and different desires and privacy versus sharing and all that. She's trying to figure out what that looks like for her. But I think in the future, it, it could be possible to, to have her voice in that too. Yeah, that would be incredible. Yeah. I mean, I think we all, we love hearing stories from that uh, adoption stories from uh, adopted parents' point of view. We love hearing them from the birth parent point of view, but we also love hearing from the adoptees. And with an open adoption yeah. being so quote unquote new, I mean, 20 years ish, there's not a whole lot of adult adoptees that have experienced open adoption. So it's pretty yeah. cool. I think it would be amazing if you guys can do that. Uh, that would be an incredible uh, way to, to further yeah. share your story and, and help those people like us out there understand open adoption. Yeah, I agree. I, I think adoptive voices are very important um, to learn from of either what does not work well or what does work well. And I'm really hoping that our story is one that shows what does work well. Yeah. Um, and obviously different situations need different things, but this is one way that I'm able to, we're able to see her thrive and, and benefit in a lot of ways. Um, and that, you know, we're all more satisfied in it. And so I hope it can be an encouragement to other people. No question. Where do we folks connect with you? Find your book, find your Kickstarter. Where can they find that? I'm most active on Instagram and it's just at Leah Alton, my name. Um, I have a website that's leahalton.com. I'm also on Facebook. Um, all of those will have links to the Kickstarter to pre-order. And May 1st, it'll become a whole page where it tells you more about 
what's in the book and about Kaylee who drew the book and um, the rewards that it will have, which will be like exclusive to, to the backers, the Kickstarter. It'll be eventually it'll be like on Amazon and things like that. But Kickstarter kind of is like a special package with like additional things um, like getting the ebook or gift packages and things like that. So I'm excited <laughs> and I'm really hopeful that that your audience will connect with it and and want it to. <laughs> well, if we tell them they get extra stuff, then absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like like one of the one of the tiers is being able to get the book and a call with me and some of my free like my downloads for free. So I'm hoping that'll be an incentive once hearing me and like the value of being able to ask questions about your profile book or if you need an edit and you're not sure what's wrong with your profile book, why are we not getting any views on it or things like that? It can be helpful. Yeah, that's that's one incentive of doing it this way is that we kind of both win. It helps provide me the funding to pay for the editors and designers and things, but it provides the backers and the the people who order with incentives and extra things that you wouldn't get anywhere else like Amazon. If you do decide to order, thank you so much because you're helping to make my dream come true of getting this book done and just spreading the word uh, and the message of this. And yeah, I'm just so grateful that I'd be on here with you, Tim, and share a little piece of my story. And thank you for your support. Yeah, absolutely. Your website's awesome too, by the way. Uh, you at the very top, you can see what her new book and, and get uh, access to that in the Kickstarter part. And then you scroll down, you'll see uh, her a uh, little bit of a bio on her and what she talks about. And she even has a little video on there. And it, the video is actually called Open to Adoption. I don't know if it'll all be up. It'll be up there forever. But uh, right now it is. It's a great video to mm -hmm. just a quick video to watch. You yeah, there's talk a about few videos. It. Yeah. I love watching videos, so I'm <laughs> glad you have that on there. And you can find out uh, more things about her, uh, her story. You have some adoption keepsakes on there, you know, some services that you provide because you talk to people about adoption. Um, you even do some profile planning or review. You do some one-on-one -on -one coaching, um, speaking. So a lot of cool stuff that you're doing to help support the adoption community. So that's that's amazing. I hope everybody goes and checks out your website and we'll put the link in the show notes so you don't have to go oh wait how do we spell her name or <laughs> or where what, what was the website called it'll all be in the show notes at infinite so you can find it in, in the podcast uh, link to this episode so i really appreciate you coming on the show you obviously uh have an amazing story and a wonderful heart to for adoption that, um, that carries on beyond your own family it carries on to helping others so that's what uh, we're all about here so i'm so happy to find you and be able to bring you on the show and share your story and you're right this is a just a microcosm of what your your whole story is so i'm so glad you wrote your memoirs or you're writing your memoirs and we can all be able to uh, find it and read it because it's going to be way more in depth than even what we're able to talk about in today's show Anything else you want to leave us with before we go? I really just appreciate you asking me to be on here and excited to hear from you guys. If you find me on, on Instagram, you know, I'd love to hear from you and just, I'm available to ask questions and, or just 
encouragement in general. I, I love to connect with people. So feel free to message me. We do too. Thank you for that. I mean, having people to talk to and connect with, you know, even online is huge. Uh, Cause lots of times the adoption world can feel very overwhelming. It can feel very isolated and lonely because you just have nobody that you know that knows anything about adoption and yeah. that's how you want to build your family. So how do you find people that can do that? Well, here you are. This is, this is one way to do yes. it. Yes. The internet was such a gift throughout my pregnancy and placement and many years beyond. It's just amazing the connections that you can make through the internet. And it, I'm glad that you have a, a space, a safe place to, to connect and talk with other people who've been there. So, yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. You did a great job. Thank you for sharing your story. And I uh, can't wait to get your book. Oh, thank you. Thank you. All right. Great interview with Leah. Love her heart. Oh my gosh. Having somebody on that is a birth mom and has so much experience with open adoption and having more kids and that dynamic that she gets to share with her all of her children is just amazing. And then she is now helping other people. I love it. I mean, this is something that's so unique in the adoption world. I hope you go and connect with her. And I hope you get her book too. LeahOuten.com is her website. And you can find everything you need to know there. And um, there'll be links in the show notes. So if you go to InfiniteAptionGuide.com forward slash 104, because this is episode 104, you will see all the links and the things that we talked about in this episode. If you are uh, struggling in your infinite option journey, you're not alone. I, we can help you with that. We got a step-by-step guide on how to get all the way through the very beginning of where do we even start to the very end, choosing the right adoption agency for you. You can get the free guide. It's called how to find the right adoption agency in four steps. And we just give you a guide. It's a free resource. Walks you through how to find the right adoption agency, how to evaluate them, choose the right one. And if you really want to dive in deeper and you really need more help and you need that support. Uh, we have, we take that deep dive in the course, go to findmyadoptionagency.com, see how to get that free guide and see what the course is all about. You'll see exactly what's inside the course and see if that's right for you. Findmyadoptionagency.com. Thank you so much for joining me today. You are in my prayers as you go on the journey to build your family through infant adoption. God bless. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to my dad.